we're on the course one day, we're not having a great round, we're donating to the lake, the forest, and we look at each other and we say, why aren't we losing our own golf balls? Why are we losing golf balls of brands that are old, they're stuffing, they don't speak to us as digital natives. The next generation of golfers who are the rebel rousers in a good way, who are consuming things in much different ways than we are here. That was the seed crystal, the idea. And given the four of us built and scaled tech companies, we said, look, before we do anything, what are our ambitions? And we had big ambitions to take Odin to golfers across the globe. And the second thing we said, well, we wanna have a tech lens of this. We have a vision of building a platform for the everyday golfers. So we say what the old stuffy incumbent brands did for the PGA Tour, we're doing for everyone else. That's our, our sweet spot in the market, which is the majority of the market, which is really exciting. Welcome back to the Mod Golf Podcast for the start of season 12. So here we are where I speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. Hey, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us and please subscribe to the show so you hear about all of our upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Jordan Lunetta, co-founder at Odin Golf. Building community and creating a culture that embraces a philosophy of let's go balls out is what they're all about. I had the pleasure of meeting Jordan about, I think about three, four months ago. He reached out to me. We were back and forth. We've had lots of conversations about all things golf and other things too, like NFTs and the metaverse, fan engagement, all these great things. It's going to be a great conversation today. So, hey, Jordan, great to see you again. How you doing, man? What's up, Colin? Thanks for having me back and it's good catching up with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, I always start with this icebreaker. No exception here for the start of season 12. Just to get it going here, I always love the context because some people uh, I've had on as guests have never picked up a golf club before. Some of them are PGA pros and everything in between. So, hey, share with us the first time you ever picked up a golf club, that experience, and also a magical moment, some experience that you've had on the golf course, whether it was last Thursday or 20 years ago, whatever that is. Share those things that are golf related for us here, Jordan, to get us going. So I picked up, I was eight years old, I picked up a double-sided putter. I don't know if they still make them. I started hitting it left-handed, and I'm, I ended up being a right-handed golfer, but I still putt lefty like Nota Begay. Uh, we're dating All ourselves right. here. So I picked up a putter, and I had an older brother who was kind of an avid golfer, and he's way better than I was, am, and will ever be. I was kind of hooked from that moment on and obviously being at that age many moons ago playing mini golf and putting was kind of the entry point and the next step for that was taking lessons at the local muni course sunken gardens golf course shout out and I have vivid memories at the range on the old ratty mats that are probably still there almost 30 years later. I remember vividly doing the lesson and then the kids that I was with in that group going to the snack bar after and the instructor brought out a couple of pitchers of Coca-Cola and a bunch of French fries and ketchup. And that was kind of the first foray into golf. That's kind of the memory that sticks. Love that. So even at a young age, golf was already intertwined with food and, and something right. to drink. <laughs> yeah, we, we've come full circle now. And actually, I've been trying to pinpoint this. Maybe you know, Colin, and I'd be curious to hear about the Canadian golf culture. What was the turning point where not hole 19, but directly on the course where people actually were drinking, having a pop, 
soda pop or a beer, or in a lot of cases now, it's even skipping the pleasantries and going for the hard stuff. Yeah. I've asked a bunch of people and I've tried to figure what the turning point was. Was it the 90s? Was it the early aughts? Was it the 80s? What do you think about that? Well, I uh, look at you flipping the script on me right into it here, asking me questions, <laughs> put me on the spot. Well, when I first started playing golf, and I, I didn't play golf really until my late teens or so, I was playing a lot of team sports. That's kind of what I did at an elite level, whether it was baseball, basketball, football, hockey, off of here in Canada. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of friends in the neighborhood that played some golf, so I tagged along with them as a junior. Didn't take any lessons. There was no YouTube, so I still have, unfortunately, a lot of bad muscle memory, tempo and rhythm and sequencing stuck in my swing that I'm still kind get rid of but to answer Mm -hmm. your question at that time they still had the classic cart girl i don't know if you Mm -hmm. it's pc to say cart girl anymore but that's what it was young Mm -hmm. woman that would be around in the cart for some context this is like the mid 80s or so for me when i'm playing and and certainly it was very prevalent and then even a little bit later for me later 80s and uh in early 90s that when i wasn't playing a lot of golf only playing a couple of times a year usually it had a a four beer minimum involved in that which is probably another reason why i never broke 90 at that point too i know there's a correlation there between uh, (laughs) four or more beers and an inability to break 90 so hopefully that answers your question that i've always seen it as part of the culture culture on the course, especially in the summertime, right? As compared to now where I play and play a little more seriously and competitively, that uh, yeah, we'll have a, have a beer or two afterwards. But as far as drinking on the course, we're definitely focusing on what we're doing. But it's certainly prevalent. There's no question it has been for some time of, of having drinks on the course. Absolutely. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And I think now in today's age on the course, Canada, here, Europe, I think UK for sure, uh, Germany, which I can speak to, maybe not as much, but it's in a lot of ways of much of the golf culture today of playing music, drinking, having fun, really not taking it too seriously, not very buttoned up, which that's still the case in, in many tracks. But it's interesting to see the trajectory of that. And then also what we'll get into a little later on the digital experience, how that kind of bridges that gap of the online with the real life portion, which I think is super fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait to get into that. But hey, we still have to have more of the kind of the origin story, the backstory. So for you, you never played golf at college or like a super competitive level, right? So, but you've always loved golf, but you were not in the golf industry. So what was your background? What did you go to school for and early in your career? Why don't you tell us about that? before you talk about that aha moment with your buddies. But before you get into that, yes. So tell me a little bit about your background there of what led up to your life with Odin Golf. So I started building at a very young age, literally getting my hands dirty around when I started playing golf and started a a sweep, sweep, sweep business in the neighborhood, sweeping and mowing lawns and earning money to go buy comic books and rookie cards, et cetera, candy. So that was kind of the first foray into building and getting experience of taking something from zero to one, which has a multitude of context uh, later to present day. At age 12, I started a professional DJ business with a friend of mine in the neighborhood. That was kind of the next step in the U.S. and California where I grew up. The working law to get a work permit, I think, was 15. My mom faked a a work permit so that I could get started a lot earlier. So she was fostering entrepreneurship very young, which I'm incredibly grateful for because it's paid dividends over the years. So I had a music background and I ran that business and and it grew to two different states. And I like to say I retired uh, at age 22, which was a blast. And that was in a way in the clothing of hyping up crowds, playing music, 
a lot of those skill sets ended up going into the next phase of my career, which is building software. To answer your original question, I grew up in California, studied business law uh, in Arizona, Arizona State, played water polo. So I golf was always like a hobby, a place to shoot the crap with friends and right, enjoy. Right. And I did play tournaments as a kid. I was always either second to last or last place. So incredibly frustrating. I mean, the game itself, as we know, in many ways is frustrating, but that was especially frustrating. So there was a period where five or eight years, I wasn't really playing. And then I picked it back up in college and fell in love with it. And it it was a respite to go play with friends. And obviously in college, drinking was, was a big part of it. So it was kind of an excuse to go out, drink, and then have fun after on hole 19 and beyond. So that was kind of the background and, and the studies. And then as soon as I finished university, I moved over to Berlin, Germany to work at a tech job. And That's a crazy story, talking my way into a job over there. But in my undergraduate, I played water polo with a team in Rome and Italy and fell in love with Europe. I was eating Cacio e Pepe and drinking Negronis all day, as any young whippersnapper would, and said, look, I grew up in the SFA area. I want to work in tech and I want to do it in Europe. And Berlin was kind of the obvious choice. It was eclectic, very open and freeing breadbasket of different cultures like San Francisco was that I was exposed to. And now the tech scene has completely blossomed, which we can get into. So that was how I ended up over there. I worked for a company called Delivery Hero, which is the largest food ordering platform in the world outside of the U.S. I started in marketing there. And then six months in, I took over the mobile app development for the UK brand and had no business being there because I wasn't technical. I didn't know what a, really what a web browser was or... <laughs> I was kind of savvy, but not in that way. And it was a baptism by fire. And and again, that harkens back to the previous experiences of just dropping in the deep end. Age is just a number, cares how old you are, but just get started, just dive in and then school of hard knocks, just learn as you go. And that's kind of the ethos that I've lived by and brought into Odin now. May not have all the answers, a lot of it's new, but you're going to come out the other side much stronger. I love it. Love it. It sounds like going way back to some of your first comments that your mother has been very influential and supportive as far as giving you the confidence and the validation to take the entrepreneurial leap. Because I know in a lot of cases, well, in my family, for example, no one has any entrepreneurial DNA in them, like kind of nine to five type of mentality, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I had to find it elsewhere, which was a little bit tricky and also hard knocks of figuring that stuff out. At least you have the luxury that you don't have to explain to your mom what you do. I still find with my dad, he still is like, what do you do exactly? And I I still have a tough time. (laughs) What do you tell him? Well, originally it was, because of course, where we started off with our company in 2013 with Reviver Sport Entertainment, which of course the Mod Golf Podcast is a media asset of, explaining that what we were doing, creating this golf event that is like the X Games of golf, that it's like Coachella meets Dew Tour beat Cirque du Soleil. And this is to an 80 something year old man. He's like, what are you talking about? So, yeah. so for, for, for him, it was really difficult. And to be honest, I probably wasn't articulating that as well as I can now with what we're actually doing. So yeah, he was quite worried for some time. He's probably still worried. He probably thinks like a lot of people <laughs> think for entrepreneurs, we are a bunch of misfits in a certain way. Like what's wrong with you people? Why don't you just get a real job? <laughs> right. like, totally. Yeah. There's a wiring that we have it's not as acute or polarized to like a comedian where there's a background to grab from to form the comedy. But in a way, it's it's what we signed up for. It's an all-consuming gig, which to our health detriment probably isn't very good, especially with sleep and just general sanity. But 
the highs are incredible, like nothing like it, but the lows are also just just awful, like nothing like it. So yeah, explaining to people, explain it in a way that they understand. But sometimes I have that when I explain to people what we do, I always joke and tell them 99% of it isn't glamorous, what you read in the press or on Twitter bubble tunnel that it's really just brass tacks, just getting hands dirty. And the failure rate is incredibly high. There's a lot of risk. So there's trappings of that health personally, it's just there's a lot happening hovering around that hoop. But it's incredibly rewarding. And again, this is what we signed up for, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we talk a lot about mental health for entrepreneurs on the podcast. We've had many Mm -hmm. episodes where that's been the focus. And a lot of the other work that I have done in the past with Startup Canada and even Startup Vancouver community Mm -hmm. group here, of which I'm a co-founder and was the community leader of, as Mm -hmm. far as that mental health awareness is just so critically important for entrepreneurs because the grim statistics, the rate of anxiety, depression, and sadly even suicide is Mm. for entrepreneurs is much higher than the general population, which is already way too high. So just removing that stigma and that silence around all these things is just having a conversation like like you and I are having right now, which Mm -hmm. is what you you need to do. Just, Just keep talking about it. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And one thing that I've grappled with over the years, I'm still working on it, try not to internalize everything and play hero ball. And I think in a sense of putting it all on your shoulders. And and I had the formative years of playing sports and being competitive and winning and losing and the tough lessons that are associated with that. But business is much different in that you can't just put it all on your shoulders and then take off and go score the winning goal or hoop or whatever the context is. So that's something that I still struggle with of not internalizing everything, but getting help. And even if it's journaling or talking with people, having a support system, other entrepreneurs or a partner, significant other or the team founders. For example, before Odin, I started a developer tools company. I was the solo founder because I started it based on personal pains that I experienced. So I built a team around me, but it was different in that when you're not a founder and internalize everything, it's much different than while you may believe in the mission and be very excited, it's different than the person or the people running it or having the inception idea and taking it to life. So that's something I, I still struggle with and I'm working on, but it's, it's really a good lesson speaking to what you said of it could really manifest itself in a really unhealthy way and negative way and have not great consequences. So yeah, I think that's the other benefit of what we do is we can help ourselves first and foremost, but also do things to help others, whether it's the customers of the business or peers or the next generation of builders. I love everything that you're saying there. And for anyone out there listening and considering entrepreneurship, well, hopefully we're not scaring you off here because yes, it is yeah. it is difficult. <laughs> But ultimately, it is so rewarding. And I will even say, just even through the podcast, not even the other things that I do in the in the venture space, both in golf and in other areas of sport, that my life has been enriched incredibly of just meeting all these great humans that otherwise I'd have no opportunity to connect with and even have a reason to have a conversation or didn't even know existed. So it's just opened this up for me, even for five years of the podcast here. So I look at it as like this journey of having stones in front of you and, and turning them over. And you have the opportunity to maybe not turn that stone over or turn this one over and making those decisions and things just reveal themselves. And I grew up in a more of a glasses half empty type of household. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, my dad did it for the safety of us more than anything else to protect us, to be really cautious, overly cautious. 
And I look at it differently now and where he would always say or think that, well, what if it doesn't work out or what if it goes wrong? But the other flip side, what if it goes even better than you imagined? What if these other opportunities reveal themselves Mm -hmm. you didn't even know were there and it's even better? Look at it that way. That's the way I love to embrace things. I'm still very rational. I'm going to keep my feet on the ground like everybody else. But on the other hand, having that positive, optimistic outlook and not going alone on things and surrounding yourself with great people, which is Mm -hmm. my little segue into bringing it all back here after that great foundation that you've laid here. We've talked about a lot of great things already here, Jordan. So now with Odin. You're in Berlin, where where we first connected a few months ago. That's where you reached out to me. We had a conversation there. And you're going back there. You're in San Francisco today. I believe you're flying back tonight or tomorrow. I think you're you're heading back. On Thursday, yeah. I'm parachuting back to Berlin and Odin. We'll get into Odin stuff. So we're just focused on the U.S. market. So I come back quite a bit for the in-person stuff, like events and meeting the community. Uh, Yeah, Berlin is home base. I believe the weather is much better now than when we spoke several months ago. I think you were getting some sun, but I was in, I felt like a bunker, but that's the crux of Berlin. Grungy, but sexy, as we say. Yeah, so heading back to Berlin, and that's the home base uh, for Odin. We're now going to take a short break to hear about what's new with Zencaster. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than social media and traditional advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. I've been using Zencaster since day one of the ModGolf podcast, and I'm excited to tell you about Zencaster's creator network, which makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters and their audience. Looking to get your product in the hands of people who will love it? Promoting on podcasts is the fastest growing advertising style in the world, being 4.4 times more effective than display ads. With Zencaster's new podcast marketplace, your company can negotiate directly with creators, collaborating with them to get the best bang for your advertising buck. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite shows, like me. Zencaster matches you with the best podcasts, so your product gets to the right audience to maximize your advertising campaign budget. Interested in sponsoring the ModGolf podcast or learning how podcast show advertising could benefit your business? Go to zen.ai forward slash modgolf and fill out the contact information so that the Zencaster team can bring your business story to life. That's zen.ai forward slash modgolf to give your product the opportunity to reach a new audience through the podcast they love. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. So we're almost 20 minutes into the conversation. All of our listeners are like, what the heck is this Odin thing? So you're working, getting your feet wet, finding your path in the tech sector. And now you're looking at golf balls as a starting point. Okay. So what's the connection here? What was the aha moment with your buddies? It's still a bit of a disconnect. How do you go from seems like you're focusing on this path and this trajectory and now all of a sudden starting with golf balls with Odin. So tell us the aha moment and how you took that first step. Berlin is a breadbasket of cultures. There's a lot of expats. You hear English, Portuguese, Spanish on the streets. You hear everything. So I've lived there 10 years. So the first five, six years, I got to know other expats through Delivery Hero where I was working in other companies who also happen to play golf. But golf is eight to 10 years behind where it is everywhere else in Germany. There's a multitude of reasons why that's the case, which we can get into. But we said, look, we're golf nuts. We want to get our golf fix in. Most of the courses are outside the city, but there is one course that we found that was close that we were able to meet and go play at. So we incubated this, whoever was working in tech golf game in Berlin, and that started to blossom and get very exciting. And it was co-workers and friends of friends 
who in kind of a hush hush way, because when you tell people you golf there, they say, well, you're not 70 years old and incredibly wealthy and wearing buttoned up clothing, which we kind of laugh at, you know, Canada and the US. That's definitely not the case. Yeah. Anyway, so four of us from this game, we became very close and kind of were more of the regulars with it. We were playing one day and we're not great golfers between 12 and 20 handicaps. We just go to have fun. We're on the course one day. We're not having a great round. We're donating to the lake, the forest. It's a little chilly out. And we look at each other and we say, well, why aren't we losing our own golf balls? Why are we losing golf balls of brands that are old? They're stuffing. They don't speak to us as digital natives. The next generation of golfers who are the rebel rousers in a good way, who are consuming things in much different ways than we are here. That was the seed crystal, the idea. And given the four of us built and scaled tech companies, we said, look, if we're going to do this before we do anything, what are our ambitions? And we had big ambitions to take Odin to golfers across the globe. And the second thing we said, well, we want to have kind of a tech lens of this. We have a vision of building a platform for the everyday golfer. So we say, what the old stuffy incumbent brands did for the PGA Tour, we're doing for everyone else, for the everyday golfer. That's our, our sweet spot in the market, which is majority of the market, which is really exciting. And the third thing we said, there's no shortage of consumer choice here with golf. Golf during the pandemic, this was a year ago, by the way. Right, so right. golf boomed during the pandemic. It was the market timing from a startup sense, check, 100 you need all those things to align the team, the product, the market timing, a little bit of lightning in a bottle. So that was good. We looked at it and we said, well, if we're going to do this, how do we 10, 50, 100x the customer product experience? Because there's a multitude of choices for the consumer. And then the other thing is we said, before we do any tech or anything like that, we want to meet the everyday golfer where she's at, at the local watering holes at the golf course to build credibility and trust as a new brand, as a challenger brand, an upstart, the rebel of the golf scene. Hence our tagline, go balls out always. We said, we're going to start with the brick by brick approach of building our community, our social club, meeting the target customer and software speak where they're at. And the first part of this platform we're building is the course essentials, which is the golf balls and the golf gear, the Odin golf balls that we're starting with now that really, when we started, exceeded our expectations a hundred different ways. We didn't expect it to go like that. We launched last summer, everything sold out completely online on Amazon and local pro shops. And we said, look, given the angle of a come one, come all 360 golf experience that we're building here, there's actually a huge wedge in the market for something like this, because you can go to our website or Instagram and see, we speak like the everyday golfer, reload without the guilt. Let's have a couple pops on the course, the nuke factory. Let's hit some darts. That's our market. Like we're everyday golfers and we're building value for everyday golfers. So that's the lens in which we're building things. We are doing a brick by brick, but we have a North Star of taking this globally. Love it. Love it. So I'm going to rewind it a little bit here, fill in some of the pieces that you mentioned there because you provide a lot of good context there. So you and your buddies, you have an idea, you've got the mission statement, you understand what it is you want to do and why you want to do it. But as we know, the idea itself and even formulating that is like 0.01% of what it takes, right? As far as the execution, right. the work, the consistency, the resilience to move forward. So what did you do 
first then to look at the market. You said you sold out almost immediately when you put the balls on the market last summer. Did you consider that as just luck or did you actually do a lot of customer discovery first and be able to really target and understand who your audience is? I know you kind of touched on this, but I want you to expand on it. Who your audience is and even more so who it is not. So I'm sure with almost a zero marketing budget, how did you manage to get the word out and create a brand with Odin from one that goes from, as we know, at the top of the marketing funnel, first thing you have to do is raise awareness because no one even knows what the heck Odin is to actually right. have people converting and purchasing and loving and sharing what you're doing. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that, about the first steps of creating that brand and tie that into where did you design and manufacture that whole supply chain of golf balls, especially during a pandemic. So I'm just intrigued with both of those pieces, but I'll let you untangle my two questions there and tell it as you like. Yeah. By the way, I love what you said earlier. That's the school of thought where idea is easy, but it's in the execution and the school of thought that myself and the rest of the team and that we subscribe to is 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. This is the other thing that I struggle with. And I think some of the others too, we're all uber competitive people that played sports that the fright of, and especially in what we're doing, which is a bit of a bloodbath because there's so many well-established companies and new companies. There's a lot of money sloshing around. You would look at this if you were to tell your dad, hey, this is what I'm doing and here's what the market <laughs> looks like. He'd look at you like, holy smokes, you're insane. We wouldn't have it any other way, right, Colin? So we said, we're going to start with golf balls. We're going to build credibility and trust with the everyday golfer. So before we started, we spent about nine months testing all different ball prototypes from overseas in Asia. And they sent it to us in Berlin and we're different handicaps, different player types, swing speed. So we said, look, we're not going to speak to this like some of the traditional companies would where ultra forged, crazy technology, three times over engineered. And that's the other part of the market development we did with customers is if you speak to people like that, like us, we don't really understand what that means. Consumers are selfish. And we learned this from our previous companies. What's in it for me? Like, what are you doing for me? Like, I have 100 other options here. I'm consuming Spotify and food delivering. It's now, 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 me, me, me. So right. Just keep it simple. What's the utility and value for them? So that was the starting point. Luckily for us, we had a strong golf network. So we were bothering them with what we're doing in the midst of testing the balls and the prototypes out. And we finally stumbled upon a great product experience, value on the course, and then also price point. We like to say reload without the price guilt. So the quality and the experience you're going to get, instead of paying $52.99 a dozen, you're going to be paying almost half of that. Because it goes back to the origin of we're losing balls to the lake and the forest, and we're not going to see those ever again. And golf is expensive as it is, especially in Germany. So that was in tech speak, what's the pain you're solving? So that's something that we've always gravitated towards. And then the other thing is from the branding and the colors and the boxing, we said, We want to have something bold that no one has ever seen before. And with the box, it's a nice matte finish. And we said, we want this to be like unboxing an iPhone, like feeling good, like, holy smokes, this is cool. Like, what is this? Creating intrigue. So if you look at our boxes, it's the Odin splatter. And that fits into our tagline, go balls out always, like go for it, go for the gusto. And then also happens to have the double meaning of we're selling golf balls. I think we didn't actually realize that later that it had a double meaning until someone told us that, oh, that's kind of clever. You guys sell golf balls too. It was more of a mentality, an Odinite 
someone, no matter the background, no matter the handicap, we wanted this to become one come all on their own terms. No matter what they're doing, they're going to get value out of Odin as a platform. In this case, we're starting with golf balls and golf gear are course essentials of the platform we're building, which we can get into later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love the fact you're creating this culture and this imagery of it's irreverent, but it's also inclusive at the same time. And Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like that combination of what you've got going on here. And you're very consistent with that and having fun. You're definitely Mm -hmm. have that playful undertones to it. It's a bit cheeky too, as you said, even with your tagline. So I have to ask you this with the name Odin Golf. I know myself coming up with new product names or even the name of the company. It's like just agonizing over this and having, oh, it could be this, it could be that. Sometimes it comes really easy. Some things we've done has taken like half a year. So when I hear Odin, I immediately have a Marvel Comics reference to Thor. Is that where it comes from or is it something else? So tell us about how you decided even the name and maybe what else was shortlisted as names for the company. Yeah, it fits into the boldness, a name that kind of came off as bold. So there's four of us founders, there's two Germans, one Brit, and I'm the token expat who may be a little crazy in their eyes with my crazy U.S. sarcasm. That's another story, (laughs) uh, if if they're listening, and my horrible jokes. We said, look, Berlin is the home base and HQ2 is in California. We want to pay homage to the European motherland and Odin being the Nordic god of wisdom was very apropos of what we were doing. So that's how we stumbled on the name. And I think it just kind of clicked. This fits us, this band of golf rebels, but also maintaining, you know, the goodness of the game, as you mentioned. And it's funny if you Wikipedia or Google search Odin, Odin has a big staff and we like to joke that it's a giant putter. So that's how we stumbled upon the name. Some of the names we came up with, I, I can't recall them, which is good because if that's the case, then they weren't that strong in the first place. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah. And again, we had this mentality of getting things out the door, not doing a good amount of analysis on the market and understanding the market and the customer and the value built for them, but also get going, get moving, build. And we just happened to have Odin as kind of a strong suit as part of that. And it's nice. still with us, obviously. Nice. Good stuff. So when you first launched, it was with golf balls. So you, and I see now you've got three golf balls. You've got the Odin X, the Odin XS, and the Odin X1. Can you tell us what the difference of the ball? And did you release those all at the same time? Or did you do, as you should as an entrepreneur, this you and I, because we live and breathe this, but as far as your minimum viable product, your MVP is, what are you going to do first? Don't do everything at once with all these features. One thing, see if that hits nail that, then scale it. So which ball did you come up with first? And now you have three, you've got what's called essentials as far as your merch and your apparel. So tell us about what you started with sequentially and, and rolling out and perhaps even the future before we, we switch the conversation over to NFTs and all that. Yeah, we said at the beginning, we don't want to be beholden to just a golf ball company. We have larger ambitions, but we started with the golf balls and we said, Look, the traditional companies, a lot of them have patents and have multi-decades and thousands of people working on these things and scientists and PhDs. Wonderful. We're not going to get them there. Again, who are we targeting? Majority of the market where we still find in a lot of cases, people don't understand the differences of the balls. So we said, let's benchmark it 
as close as we can to what they would get from the traditional brands and then at a killer price point and cover most of the player types. So we started with the X ball, which is our distance control ball, which is less than 20 bucks. We started with that and it was definitely a risk because we had some really better players playing it. But we said, look, distance balls in a traditional sense are like hitting rocks, but this one has a soft core. It feels good but you're going to get distance and it's not like hitting something that that wouldn't feel good. Right. And we found that really good players, some of them may have been trying to be nice. A lot of really good players are very candid, especially with golf stuff. And they said, well, actually, we're pleasantly surprised here. Then we launched, we said, okay, for those types of players and for a large part of the market, there has to be a better ball, a tour ball in the traditional sense. Right. So we launched the X1 ball, which is our workhorse all-arounder, distance control, plays like a Pro V1, but you're not paying 52 bucks for a dozen. We started with that, and then we started to see the feedback of customers and people saying, we like both of these, but we want something in between. And then that's where the XS, the X-Soft, plays more to the X1 ball, but it's softer. And that's coming out this summer. So we have the X and X1 ball out. And again, it was build killer experience from a value standpoint, great customer experience. And we were able to do that. We were definitely on edge, especially from taking from zero to one and for an industry as traditional as it is and candidness too. And that's kind of where, like I said, exceeded our expectations when we put these out in our community that we built from the ground up that there was an appetite for it. And that's where we said, okay, look, let's keep pedal to the metal here and keep building. Nice, nice. Well, speaking about pedal to the metal, you guys Mm -hmm. didn't decide to, okay, we're just going to keep doing the same thing. You're always innovating. You're always looking around the corner at the next thing. And for you, because you and I have had many conversations about this, and that is being on the forefront, especially in the golf industry. There's only a couple of other companies and organizations and ventures that are delving into the metaverse, NFTs. Mm -hmm cryptocurrency, all these things combined here in the golf space. You decided with Odin to now enhance, extend Mm -hmm. your community through NFT. So why don't you talk about that? For all our listeners out there, first of all, I will say, if you're still wondering what the heck an NFT is or the metaverse, Mm -hmm. one of the last episodes we did for season 11, we had Guillermo Heredia, who is the managing director with Hype Sports Innovation. And he talked about all things metaverse and NFT. So if you want a metaverse and NFT 101, go back and listen to that episode because he explains it far more articulately than I ever could. But I am going to put you on the spot here to describe, I'm sure you have a lot of golf friends or people saying, what the heck is an NFT? So tell us about that, what you've done over the last few months with Odin, with your NFT and minting that coin and minting that NFT and why you've done it and what uh, gathered from that so far. So the backstory is at, at the beginning for starting Odin, the other piece to our intentions of building Odin is we said, given we're building a grassroots community from the ground up, we actually wanted Odin customers in the community to own a piece of the business, like own a piece of stock in Odin. And the US, Canada, to an extent, we've talked a lot about this, has strict accreditation laws around who can own a piece of a tech company or there's a lot of risk to it. It's understandable. There's a lot of consumer protection around that having a certain amount of net worth, and then you can be an angel investor or invest money in in technology startups. It's getting a lot better, but it's still not there. 
And we didn't want to do a crowdfunding campaign, like a Kickstarter or anything like that. It really wasn't our jam. So we kind of parked that idea and we said, okay, let's noodle on it later. Fast forward to beginning of this year, we stumbled upon the NFT as a vehicle, the non-fungible token. And everyone can go listen to the episode with Guillermo, which is fantastic. And they can read up about it uh, separately. Shoot me an email if you want to learn more. And we said, look, this is incredibly compelling for what we want to do in that not giving someone a piece of the company, like a piece of equity, it's actually giving someone, a founding member of Odin, a chance to have a piece of the brand equity. Again, not a piece of the business, but the brand itself. So the analogy we tell people is it's like Phil Knight of Nike in the 70s going to his community and saying, Hey, I'm in this upstart brand. I'm selling shoes out of my my trunk. If anyone's read Shoe Dog and that story, which is super cool. I got a couple runners at University of Oregon. We're incubating this thing. You're a brand loyalist or you're thinking about being a brand loyalist and you believe in what I'm doing. He launches 150 founding member NFTs for someone to be a part of Nike in the early days. And imagine what that would be worth today of someone who grew with the brand over time. Right. He said, this is actually an incredibly compelling way to engage our community on a whole other level. Like they're getting value out of our products and services, but we're building with them. We're building for them. Let's get them involved in this and, and also get value and reap the benefits down the line if we continue to pan out and build Odin, which we believe we will. And the another analogy I tell people is it's the rookie card, the NFT analogy. What is an NFT, which is a digital collectible? And I say it's like a rookie card that you buy, and obviously that's physical, and you buy the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Wayne Gretzky rookie card before they all hit it big and what those are worth today. And, and owning that is a unique collectible. In this case, the NFT is digital. And it's on the blockchain and there's a ledger to show, hey, you're the owner of this. So the other question I get real quickly as a side note is, oh, isn't it just a JPEG and can I screenshot it and such? And And I use the Mona Lisa example of saying, hey, if you go to Sotheby's and say, hey, I have the Mona Lisa here, even though the Sotheby's person's like, well, I know where it is. It's in the Louvre right now, right? But you try and sell that to Sotheby's. And they're just like, get lost. They authenticate it. It's not real. So that's essentially what this is in the digital form of even if you screenshot it, it's still the owner of it. In our case, we launched 150 Odin founding member NFTs. So there's 150 unique ones based on really cool Odin characters. So we have a female character of Odin and a male character of Odin. If anyone's interested, they go check it out on futureofgolf.co. And we said, look, if we're going to do this, we want to do it with the strongest intentions of putting out great stuff like super cool characters. We set up a website of here's who we are. Here are the ambitions of Odin. Here's the roadmap. Here's what we're going to use some of the funds for to reinvest back into the business. And here's our grand vision of building the platform for the everyday golfer. And this is kind of the starting point of that. Love it. Love it. A little bit of knowledge that I've gathered researching NFTs and and the metaverse. And we've talked about this also that we are looking at because some podcasts have also launched or minted their own NFTs when there is value for the listeners for engagement. And we can talk about that later on or at another time. But I think it's important for all the listeners to to understand. It's like, well, do I just get a character? Is that what's the value exchange here? Where if they buy an NFT, one of the one hundred and fifty, which is considered rare because there's a limited number of them, 
it's like, well, is that all I get? Do I own part of the company now or not? And from my understanding, there's, and talking to one of my sports lawyer friends, that with NFTs and also with DAOs, the investments in, in this space, that it's either as a security or it's as a utility. And it's as a security, right. that's where it gets murky because then the SEC gets involved and like you actually own part of the company. How do you convert that as compared mm-hmm. to a utility where it's like, yeah, you're part of who we are. You may not actually own part of the company as far as shares and a value attached to that, but you also have so many other ways to engage. So talk about that because I understand between discounts and invites for exclusive events that are going to happen in the future to get a kind of a deeper, richer experience as part of that own community. So talk about that as far as the the value for people that would buy an NFT. Right. Yeah. And and as you mentioned, there's the two token types. There's the security token and then there's a utility token. And we looked at both and the security token was hearkening back to what I mentioned at the beginning of owning a piece of the company and is way more complicated and crazier than what we wanted to do because we said, look, we're building a consumer company. We want to focus on the utility of this for the everyday golfer who buys an NFT. And as you mentioned, we have discounts attached and exclusive events and first look at products and building with us together in our Discord channel with the rest of the community, first look at everything. Those were kind of the initial benefits, welcome pack, et cetera. Now what we're thinking about is our next part of the everyday golfer platform. So we started with the real life products, the golf balls, the gear, but building out our digital experience. And part of that vision for us is to have these digital Lego blocks. So no matter who you are, an everyday golfer, a golf league, a golf course, you can come into the Odin experience and get value out of it. So what we're working on now is our play to earn Odin experience on the course. And this ties into the utility token. So what we're doing is building out this experience where on the course you have the Odin app and you can play to earn Odin tokens while you play and keep track of your score and use that to bet, to earn, to shop on the Odin platform. And the entry point to that is your Odin player card. So it's one of your characters that you buy. The other option is to rent a player card, or the third option is to buy a dozen Odin balls, and that gives you a certain amount of access as you play. You're already playing on the course. We want to give you a benefit, and in this case, utility out of it. And the vehicle of that is a utility token that has real-world value, but also value back into the Odin ecosystem. And that's kind of what we're thinking on and working on now as part of the next piece of the roadmap. Love it. Love it. I can keep going in this conversation for another hour right here on the podcast, but you know what? I got to hold it right here. We're going to press pause because... We have so many other things to talk about. I want to hear about where you are right now with NFTs, how it's gone, what you've learned, what's worked, what hasn't worked. But let's talk about that when you and I jump on our video call, which of course will then be our video for our Mod Golf YouTube channel. So I really encourage our listeners to jump over there to become viewers. I'll include the link, as I always do, in the show notes for Jordan's show. I want to talk to you about the metaverse also and the future of where you think Odin can fit into that, what's working, what's not, because it's still very early days. So I think lots to talk about. We've talked about the past and the present right now. So let's hold off and we could talk about the future of Odin. So before I let you go here, Jordan, why don't you let all of our listeners know where they can learn more about Odin Golf? find out about your membership NFTs and all that good stuff. If you're in the U.S. and 
you are in the market for some some new golf balls, darts, as we like to call them. You can check out odin-golf.com or you can go on Amazon. You can get our X-Ball or X-1 ball. And if you're interested in learning about the future of Odin and the future of golf we're building in our community that we've amassed so far, which is super exciting. It's a really fun crew, equally rabid as we are. You can go to futureofgolf.co or you can find us on Instagram, odin, O-D-I-N.golf. And send us a message, hit us up. We're here for you. And if you want to learn more, just let us know. Love it. Well, as I always do, I will include all those links you just mentioned there in the show notes to make it nice and easy for our listeners to click and find you also on your bio page. I'll include that stuff there also. Double the pleasure there. Hey, I'm excited to continue this conversation. You know, I want to keep going right here, but I'm going to show some restraint for a change, which for me is unusual. Why don't we end it there? So Jordan, hey, it's great to finally get you on the Mod Golf Podcast today. We've had many conversations in the past. I've been waiting for this one. I'm glad you were able to join me to open up season 12 with me here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thanks, Colin. It's always fun to jam. And I'm excited for you too with the Mod Golf Podcast around the NFTs you're thinking about and also your other endeavors. So excited to help and support. And thanks again for all that you do for the golf community. We love what you do and we get a lot of value out of it. And I think for anyone listening, if you haven't, check out the other episodes. And I think you're going to get a crash course on golf, business building. And there's a lot of great people that you've interviewed and would highly recommend it to the audience listening. Thanks, you. I appreciate the kind words and for sharing the love there. And uh, as we, we are also looking to increase our audience engagement, all of you listeners out there, hey, let us know what you think as far as a Mod Golf podcast NFT. Is that something you'd be interested to? Uh, we don't have a price for this thing yet, but you get not only additional content, but hey, I might even have you on to ask questions for our guests on the show. All these other things that could add value for you that could be just kind of fun and kind of cool that everybody else out there that isn't one of our founding membership NFT holders wouldn't have the opportunity to actually pull the curtain back and all that good stuff. So hey, if you have any thoughts out there, listeners, hey, hit me up with an email. You know how to get a hold of me with Colin at modgolfpodcast.com, also in the show notes. So hey, Jordan, we'll say goodbye for a second time. So we'll leave it at that. I look forward to jumping over on our YouTube channel with you. Okay, you take care. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Colin. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.